This is Chris Albert, and I'm here to remind you of one thing. Someday, you're going to die. Now, that's not some morbid statement or scary idea. It's solid fact. Your time here on this earth is limited. And you need to be reminded of this as much as possible for one simple reason. To live your best life while you can. This is the Warrior Soul Podcast. What is going on, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Warrior Soul Podcast. My name is Chris Albert, and today I have an absolutely outstanding guest for you. His name is Senior Chief Tom Shea. Senior Chief Shea served in the Navy SEALs for over 23 years. Uh, He served as an instructor in multiple capacities. He served in the teams. He's also the author of several books. And the thing about Tom is he's an expert at people. He understands people. We get into his entire history, how he became a SEAL. He actually had a massive failure Early in his life, he failed out of West Point and decided that that wasn't going to be the end of the game for him. He was going to go on to become a Navy SEAL. He went through five hell weeks uh, and then from there on, you know, served in the teams after, you know, falling down numerous times. Um, We talk about a lot of different things here. We talk about leadership. We talk about life and the lessons you're going to get from this show there's so many of them, but the lessons you're going to get from this show are going to be so valuable to you. You need to pull out a pen. You need to pull out a piece of paper. We talk about home life. We talk about spirituality. We talk about leadership. Like I said, we talk about governing yourself, right? Taking care of yourself, staying fit. So many amazing things. And this guy has so many interesting stories. So sit back, you know, grab a pen, grab a piece of paper, turn off everything else you're doing. You want to listen to this episode and take note of everything. All right. Um, I'm also going to have links to the show notes for every way you can get in touch with senior chief. Sorry, I can't talk today. Every way you can get in touch with senior chief Shea on the show notes for this episode. So again, sit back, grab a pen, grab a piece of paper, write this stuff down and learn. Tom Shea, welcome to the Warrior Soul Podcast. How are you doing today, sir? Well, thanks, Chris, for bringing me on. Uh, I love what you got going on. Uh, thank you. Thank you. I, I heard you were just on a hunt. I uh, I tell you what, uh, I, I thought it was more important uh, or one of the better experiences that I've ever had, even more important than leading men in combat, is putting my 13-year-old son in a stand hunting deer by himself for the first time. That's amazing. That's amazing. How did he do? Uh, he did really well, but the deer did not cooperate. Big <laughs> bucks didn't walk in front of him. I had a couple that I could have shot, but I'd like, I, I'll, I'll, I'll try to stem my tide of uh, killing and let him participate in it, but they never walked in front of him. Yeah. It's amazing how activities like that can help to develop an individual because, uh, you know, I remember when I was a kid, um, I, I didn't have a dad growing up, but my grandfather, he was this old Italian guy, he'd take me out fishing and, and um, 
you know, he used, <laughs> we didn't go out hunting deer. He would sit in the backyard with a, a, a derringer or a BB gun and he'd take out squirrels. And he used to teach me about, uh, you know, he grew up during the great depression and he would, he, he, you know, you'd walk into his house, he'd have a freezer stocked with meat. He'd have a, uh, 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 you know, a closet full of cans and things like that. And just taught those activities taught me so much about self-reliance. Yeah. I like the word self-reliance and I also like, uh, teach your kids to be prepared for, uh, rough times during good times. Right. It's just kind of like when you're in the military, it's the same prepare for the worst possible thing while you have opportunities to prepare and kids don't get that opportunity very often because the world has become a little soft and not only my opinion, but a lot of veterans opinions. But so I, I took that to heart and I have three kids and uh, my daughter just graduated from West Point last year. Wow. And she's going through pilot training now. And my middle boy just graduated high school and my youngest is 13 and he's, uh, he wants to be a SEAL and I'm trying to talk him out of it desperately. (laughs) (laughs) Well, uh, well, I'm sure we'll definitely get into that. Um, you know, for, uh, for the audience at home, let's talk a little bit about your background. Um, you know, where do you come from? Um, what, what were you doing for the, the past couple of decades here? Uh, well, uh, I retired seven years ago. I was a, had been a SEAL for 23 years, mm-hmm. and uh, that's I can't remember a time when I wasn't a SEAL. I kind of remember being in high school and in college, but that's so far removed. I spent my life uh, either at SEAL Team 2 or SEAL Team 7, mm-hmm. uh, or I was a SEAL instructor for quite some time, and uh, my adult life was spent in war. Wow. Wow. Do you, do you remember what made you decide to become a SEAL? Um, you know, I, mm-hmm. I've heard that you were in college and, and, and you failed out of a class, right? Uh, well, uh, I grew up with what used to be SEALs. They were uh, Navy demolitions back in World War II. And so a guy that had been uh, captured on Iwo Jima mm-hmm. was a close friend of our families. And so I grew up with him and his, you know, precursor to SEALs as a, as a young man. And uh, graduating high school, I'd been heavily recruited to play football and I ended up playing at uh, West Point. And to and you're right. I failed out of West Point in English uh, in my after my junior year, and uh, I had the great opportunity of having what I call a mentor ask me a simple question. Now that you're at the bottom, what would you like to do? Because it's everything is possible now. And I'm like, man, I want. I always wanted to be a SEAL. And he goes, just go be a SEAL now. It can't get any worse. And that literally was why I did it. It couldn't get any worse than failing out and having to start over. So I started over and I wanted to get back to what I thought was uh, that me that I was searching for at West Point. Wow. Yeah. You think about something like that. I mean, West Point is a place where so many young people want to go. So so many, uh, there's so many stories about it, so much legacy around it. 
and you're there and you know, you're playing football there, which is kind of like the center of everything. Cause everybody comes to watch the football games and that, that must've been a crushing defeat. But also when, when somebody tells you something like that, that's also a really liberating thing because now you don't have this 8,000 pound monkey on your back. You can go and do whatever you want to do. Right. Yeah, I'm a fan that I've never met anybody who's been successful that hasn't hit either a sandy bottom or a rocky bottom. And uh, and that's what I had experienced first time in my life because I thought, you know, like every kid, I was the, the gift. I was a really good football player. And at, at some point in time, I was really – I did really well academically. And uh, I didn't think anything could go wrong, and it, it did. And that becomes the defining moment that everybody, I'd literally say everybody has to hit bottom. Right. Hopefully somebody's around them like you, or, uh, you know, if you own a company that you're around your people when they hit bottom so you can help them, or there's a parent around that's available, uh, but it's needed. And from that bottom, really great options become available. Absolutely. Absolutely. So, you know, you grew up around seals and, and, you know, I think at the time, you know, there, there wasn't a whole lot of information out there about what seal training was or anything Mm -hmm. like that. What was that like for you showing up in in San Diego and, and, and going through the training training sequence? Yeah. People now don't remember a time when there wasn't cell phones. Like there was no way to get information other than either a dumbass movie like Navy SEALs that was out at the time with Charlie Sheen. And there was a couple books written by uh, Richard Marcinko, who I know personally now, but that was the only information that you could find. And you couldn't even go to a recruiting office and figure out what it took to get through it other than talk to people. And there were so few SEALs at the, like still, there's not a lot of seals. Uh, there were so few that you couldn't go meet or talk to anybody. And so by the time I got to seal training, uh, I had no idea of what to expect, which I think is a great, it's a great thing to be committed without knowing how it's going to work itself out. And so I showed up to a uh, seal training. And, uh, I remember my first experiences, which is, I think all veterans have this weird experience. Uh, you anticipate one thing and you get something entirely different. And yeah. so I, I show up to seal training and there were a bunch of people ready to, ready to class up. It's called, it's probably 130 guys ready to start. And the class that was graduating only had seven left, seven. And I was like 137. Hmm. This shit's going to get real very quickly. (laughs) And the the middle class that was in second phase only had about 22 left. And the realization of what I had committed to in my brain hit me there going, okay, this is going to get real. And I had uh, like, I'm the only one, that's ever been availed the opportunity to, to be in five hell weeks. I just couldn't make it through. I got injured and got injured and got injured and they couldn't make me quit. So I was the only dumbass in the world that has been into five hell weeks. 
five of those. So, so was that because of uh, rollbacks? Was it because of failures? Was it because of medical stuff or? It's all medical. So I, I got a concussion in the first hell week wow. on Tuesday. And then uh, in the second hell week and they don't, I, I like, cause I was an instructor later in life, but I, I like the fact that they don't really care. Mm-hmm. Okay. You're hurt either quit or keep going. Oh, there's bone fragments. Okay. Either quit or keep going. Uh, so that gracious mentality of an instructor allows you to push yourself well beyond what you ever thought was possible. So I, I got to my, and so they make you start over. So if you phase out of something, you have to start from the very beginning. There's a lot of reasons to that. One is you become part of the team. You're not injected into the middle of a problem and then make it worse. So I had to start over the second class. I made it to hell week and I dislocated my shoulder on Wednesday of hell week. And then they gave me an opportunity to, to miss a class to heal my shoulder. So then I classed up again, class 198, which is a, a, a cold weather class. We started in October and uh, got pneumonia in hell week. And they weren't going to pull me out, but they knew it was going to be an issue. They're like, if you make it to Wednesday night at midnight, you can roll forward. And I didn't make it. And so, but they said, here's the deal. You have to start uh, in a week. The next class starts right before we go on Christmas, but you got to start in a week with pneumonia. And I'm like, I'll start, but I can't, I could hardly stand up. Right. So I got to start into that class and I had pneumonia the whole time, made it to hell week again. And they woke up in the hospital on Wednesday and uh, they had removed me from training. And not that I quit. They just said, hey, uh, being unlucky and being injured is also a form of quitting, which is a huge learning point. And so but I, I got to work at the hospital for nine months. And every day for nine months, I went into the admiral's office and requested uh, I go back to SEAL training. And uh, I had pissed off summarily everybody at the hospital to the point where they said, hey, you know, just just please go back. But I had lost a rank. I'd been demoted. Uh-huh. And because, uh, you know, hey, you're not allowed to submit a request shit anymore. I'm like, I don't care. I'm going to submit another one. And I went from E5 to E4 from failure to diso- failure to obey a lawful order. <laughs> That's that's um, something about special operations in the SEALs because, you know, I, I was an infantry Marine and, and doing something like that in our minds is like you can't you can't move around the lines and things like that. But you special operations guys, that's kind of what they're looking for, too, in the first place. Somebody who's willing to to bend the rules a little bit. Right. I don't know if that was the case. I was just not willing to give up because yeah. I had already I'd already given up. Yeah. The West Point experience had already been me giving up. And I'm like, well, I don't want to sit in that pool anymore. Gotcha. And I would rather everything break apart and me be a fractured human being than to quit again. And I'm glad that I had gone through that experience. I totally wish it had not taken five hell weeks to prove that out, but it did. It's good that you were able to see that. 
because I think a lot of people who quit, you know, you're doing something that's difficult. You're thinking, Hey, Oh, I could get some, some hot coffee in, in a half hour or, Hey, I can go and do this. But you were able to see yourself sitting there dejected after failing yet again. And you're able to see what kind of path it would have, br- would have brought you down. Um, it's, it, yeah. it's really beneficial that you were able to see that. Yeah. I, I uh, and I took that in to the SEAL teams. I just, uh, what I had learned from that, that was pro I, I look back and say if it was profound or not, but, uh, keep make, make everything 10 times simpler than, than it could possibly be. And not, not a, a negative thing, but I kept thinking if I was tired and, it was nighttime. How would I deal with any problem that I was facing? And I just kept things simple. Stay or go. That was a simple problem for me to solve. Right. And reduce the number of options possible so that there's only one left. And I kept doing that for my whole career. And it really was advantageous that I didn't have multiple options to pursue on a daily basis, which makes it catastrophic for human beings when there's too many options. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now you went from there, you go into the SEAL teams. Um, you know, what, what year did you, did you, uh, get into a team? Uh, well, I had to go, I I graduated and then I had to go to the special forces medical course called 18 Delta, which was about gosh, 13 months long. So I ended up at SEAL Team 2 in 96, I think. Yeah, 96. And uh, then uh, then it was just train and train and train and train. And hopefully you, you get in a good platoon that the guys or the chief is uh, somebody who wants to go to war. And a lot of people, especially if it's a military audience that listens, that's what everybody in the SEAL Team's wants to go to war otherwise it's a waste of the time because you train so much you're like gosh i want to if i'm training to play football let's go play football and some of the guys uh, get lucky and get into platoons like i did every platoon that i was in uh we got an opportunity to go to war which was it's a rare even in the seals uh, you don't go every on, on every deployment and actually go to war right Right. Especially back in the nineties, because, you know, I went into the Marine Corps in 1999, you know, Bill Clinton was still the president. We had a, uh, it was kind of like still the the new world order kind of thing going on where we didn't think there would be any wars coming up and, and, uh, you know, that kind of stuff. But there was, there was definitely some things going on that, that, you know, required special operations Mm -hmm. and required people to be there. Yeah, the what I got into was uh, Bosnia when we were doing, we were capturing people that were convicted of war crimes before Kosovo kicked off, and then first uh, first real deployment, uh, we were out on a ship with a bunch of Marines, and we got called in to rescue the ambassador in Macedonia when the air war kicked off. I think it was ninety seven. I can't remember when. And, uh, but it was a unique time. Like every, we had small skirmishes that SEALs were involved in constantly. Yeah. Did, um, so 
you know, you're going through all that. Um, by the time nine 11 hits, what, what were you doing then? I had done three deployments at SEAL Team 2, and uh, I, was, I actually wanted to get out. And uh, people in the military may remember, he was a secretary of the interior, a guy named Ryan Zinke. Uh, he was the XO of Unit 2 in Germany, and I had just done a deployment there. And I had submitted my papers to get out. And he said, man, why don't you just come to SEAL training with me? I'm going to go take over SEAL training. Why don't you follow me there? And so in a day, he cut me orders to go to be an instructor in SEAL training. And I reported September 9th, 2001, right before the towers got hit. Wow. So the whole time, for three years after the towers got you know crunched, I was an instructor teaching all those guys that you read about to go to war. And to me, it was the most unique time I'd ever spent. Wow. That probably definitely upped the intensity a little bit on what you were doing there too, right? Uh, not more. So what happened there was unique. The, the, the skipper or the boss of the training came out and said, I don't care if anybody graduates but we're sending guys to war. So I want you guys to only train them knowing that you're going to go to war with them. I don't care about the numbers. A lot of people do like it's a big numbers game. Mm -hmm. So he, Rick Smithers came out and said, I don't care how many we graduate, but we're going to war with these fellows. So be conscious of it. Wow. Wow. That, um, you know, man, I, I mean, I think back to that time period and, you know, for me, I'd been in the Marine Corps for a few years. I remember watching the towers drop on TV and I remember that kind of mentality switch. And I couldn't imagine being one of those guys who were in your class at that point, um, you know, going through that. And, and then, and then all of a sudden having that kind of, that kind of switch happen while you're, you're just there, you know? Yeah. It's funny in that class, uh, that, that class that was actually starting. So there's always three classes in training and I can't remember which part of which phase, uh, one of the fellows was in that everybody knows about it. Uh, a guy named Michael Monsoor was in training. He's the one that jumped on the grenade and right. got the medal of honor for it. And, uh, he was in training when the towers went down. Yeah. And he was a, phenomenal student and what that means is somebody that you look at and you know that's not going to quit just somebody who's got enough resolve that they're going to hang and be miserable five seconds longer than it takes to be successful and uh and it was unique putting men like him and and a lot of other guys uh through training during that period of time wow where'd you go after your training I uh, went to SEAL Team 7, so I left BUDS as an instructor, I think, in 2004. Went to SEAL Team 7, went to Iraq, and uh, then I picked up a platoon as a platoon chief and took a uh, platoon to Afghanistan in 2009, which uh, what I call very epic combat deployment, uh, and we... Uh, uh, definitely worked for the Archangel Michael. All we did was go to war the whole time we were there for six months. And 
And most of the war that we were in was with the, the Marines and Hellman. Oh, wow. It was uh, a great period of time for us. I don't know if it was great for them because uh, they were in war every day. We, we got to take breaks and relax, and they did not. But it was a good time. Yeah. Yeah. And, and what did, what did you take from that experience of, of, of working with them, uh, and, and working with the, with a more conventional unit? Well, I don't call the Marines very conventional. Uh, the army's conventional. Yeah. The army has barriers to itself. The Marines don't I, I that's uh, like if you ever meet a seal no no seal will ever cut a marine down because the marines are the only reason that we go to war it seems like that or who we go to war with the most and the marines were uh trying to penetrate into helmand province and they never have enough equipment they never have enough you know water or food or they don't have airlift and so we had airlift and we had authority. So uh, we, I would say we did 20 some missions in conjunction with, God, I can't remember which Marines were there, uh, but we, every mission was a super coordinated mission to get them further into Hellman. The only reason we helped was we could, since we had airlift and everybody, if, if they know what that means, we could land, we could, we could move ourselves deep into Helmand province, cut up some new earth so that the Marines could, could make their way to us and they needed to have more ground to secure and to retain mm-hmm. it. And so we were like the spear and they came up to f- all the follow-up missions. And uh, like we normally take six to 10 Marines with us on each mission. Wow. Wow. That must have been awesome experiences there. So You're like, man, this is a lot easier than walking. I'm like, I, I agree. It's a lot easier <laughs> to, to land the helo Absolutely. there. <laughs> Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, so, you know, you, you get through that experience um, and then, and then, you know, you come back from that. What, what was the rest of your time in the SEAL teams like? Oh, so I came back, uh, uh, the October, late October, 2009. And I had orders to take over our sniper course. Mm -hmm. So from 2009 until 11, I was, uh, you know, the guy in charge of our sniper training. And, uh, at that point I picked up senior chief and I realized that I wasn't going to carry a gun anymore. Mm -hmm. And, uh, I had made an agreement to myself that when I'm not, when, you know, I stopped carrying a gun, I would get out. And so, uh, Stacy and I, my wife sat down many hours trying to discuss, you know, when's the right time to go. And, uh, so we decided in, at the end of 2011 to, uh, find a way out. So at that point uh, I had talk to my leadership. I'm like, Hey, I want to get out, but I still have two years left on contract. Uh, what's, what can I do? And they gave me, uh, I was responsible for all the research and development of the West coast teams, all the purchasing and new technology you know, acquisition. And, uh, so I spent two years, my final two years doing all the, the, the weapons testing, which was fun for me. Yeah. That must've been awesome. 
and awesome for Stacy that I wouldn't go into war every other month. I want to talk about that a bit because, you know, you've got children, you've got a wife, um, you're in a profession where marriages did not last long mm-hmm. traditionally. Um, how did you keep it together? I, I, I don't think I did. And I, so I, I'm, I, I, I'm like every other seal or every seal that has a divorce. Like, I don't know a seal that didn't get a divorce, maybe one out of a thousand. So my first marriage uh, ended in a divorce and we had two kids and I was still committed to being a seal. And the first wife was not interested in me being a seal. Right. And uh, something had to give, like either I was going to die or I had to get a divorce. So, and I wasn't interested in getting out of the teams because I thought I was still had stuff to do. So I, was going to be, I committed that I was never going to let a woman influence my career that way. Uh, And then I met Stacy, which I I look back and say, uh, now I know it's sure or it's true that every warrior actually needs a woman who's committed to them to to go to war. And because I hadn't had that in my first marriage, but Stacy was very interested and committed to me being a warrior to the point where I was like, God damn, give me a break, man. I don't want to go to another, I don't want to go on another deployment. And she goes, Hey, you, you're, you go on the, this next deployment. I'm like, God dang, I'm never home. <laughs> but she made it very interesting to be married because she was interested in, everything that I was going through, the bad stuff, the good stuff, the killing, the blood, she wanted to hear it all. And I wish other warriors had that level of support because it's huge. How did you find that? Because that sounds like, sounds like you hit the gold mine there. Right. Um, and I think a lot of guys, they aren't so lucky. A lot of, Mm -hmm. a lot of couples aren't prepared for this type of lifestyle, whether it be the SEALs, whether it be the Army, whether it be the Air Force, whether it be be uh, the Marine Corps, um, you know, I think a lot of people, they, they jump into marriage before they, they jump into their careers or they jump into marriage while they're in their careers. Um, how did you find somebody that meshed so well with you, your personality, what you were doing, and somebody who could, you know, help you through a lot of the stuff you were probably going through at the time. And I, you know, I don't think we find things like that. I don't think it's a search. I think it's more of a, when you get to a point in life where your life is not negotiable anymore, like what we were discussing offline about, you know, the shutdown, like it's not negotiable. I'm not going to lay off my people. And so what became not negotiable for me was I wanted to be a warrior. And if women weren't interested in that, I, you can smell it. You know what I mean? Right. So I, I made it to the point where I, if I, I was only hanging out with people who were very committed to me being the best warrior I could. And oddly people will fill that space. If you allow them to, that's the only way I can reconcile. And Stacy had been married twice and I'm like, oh, this ain't going to work out. We're both coming from divorces. And 
She goes, I want to, I want somebody who is proud to be a warrior. I'm like, well, okay, let's see where this can go. And literally that was just a conversation we had. She goes, I, I hate wimpy men and I hate men that don't like who they are. And, and, uh, I want somebody who's tough and wants to be tough. And That's so I regret That's... it all now because now I can't take a day off. And she's like, what are you doing home? Go do something. So that's the other problem with having a strong woman. That's amazing, though. That's amazing. And I think, you know, it's, it's what you said there that I think people need to take to heart. It's, it's you know, knowing who you are and, and not making any compromises about that and, and being confident in yourself enough to say, I'm not going to put my self-worth into somebody else. Right mm-hmm. now, I'm a big believer in the American family. I'm a big believer in, in the institution of marriage. At the same time, you got to be married to the right person. And yep. if you're not married to the right person, there's nothing that can ruin your life quicker than, than being in a bad marriage. Yep, I agree with that. Uh, too many soldiers, uh, Marine or, or sailor or airmen, don't know that. Absolutely. And they they become a detriment to their platoon, their team, their wing or whatever. It's literally because what goes on at home has a bigger influence than what we think. And like some of the sergeants and some of the captains and majors or commanders also don't understand it. So they don't know what to do with it either. But when you get a group of people that has a deep understanding of that, uh, they, they can 10 can beat 300 right it's literally that's a truth 10 people that have great life can decimate 300 that are you know equivocal or on the fence of their life right right exactly it becomes cancerous um now you know you go through decades of being a warrior and then you come to a point to where you know, you're, you're, you're heading out into the civilian world and obviously you had some great support at home. Um, you know, what was that transition like for you, um, coming out of the teams, uh, in, in figuring out what to do next? To me, it was the hardest because everything was very gray and unclear and what the hell are we going to do? And, and, uh, and Stacy's support was awesome, but what are we supporting here? And right. but we started asking ourselves that question while I was still on active duty. So for two years, we were looking at okay, where are we going to live? What are we going to do? Uh, go do interviews now. So I did a bunch of interviews with companies and with people and got to know what I thought business was. And I think I'm dumber now, seven years in retirement about business. But, and what I recognized was that, uh, uh, I think SEALs know the, I think every soldier knows this, but they don't recognize it and admit it. Uh, I knew people. I knew how to make more from a shitty situation by affecting people than I could. I'm never going to get ahead on technology. I was never going to understand business because uh, 20 years not doing it. So I started looking at how to get, how to teach people to be better 
And so, uh, begrudgingly, my wife had, uh, uh, I had written a bunch of notes to my family during that 2009 deployment and she had it, had it professionally edited and put it up on Amazon as a book. And I'm like, ah, fuck, man. I hate people that write books. I literally, I admit it. I'm like, I hate SEALs or military guys that write books. But so the book was just lessons that I wanted the kids to know in case I died. And it struck a chord with a lot of veterans and a lot of businessmen and women. And uh, it got me in front of people. And uh, so I have now created a, a business of having have a couple Marines and a couple SEALs working with me that we just teach people through a process and method to get exceptionally, like rapidly better uh, in five areas of their life, which I thought was necessary. And so I just look at people. People are, people are operating at 20% of their ability. What would 30% look like? It's an amazing thing to see, and it can be, it can be learned. What are those five areas? Uh, so I actually pulled them all from the SEAL teams. I just gave different words to put different words there. So you have to be fit. So physical is the first area, and it becomes not negotiable just like Marines and you have to work out and you have to take care of your body. Literally, otherwise nothing else will make a difference. Like you can't overcome an unhealthy body and mind with money. You can't right. do it. So physical is the first area. The second area is uh, your ability to continue to learn. I call it intellectual capacity. Uh, and the third area is your ability to derive value or to get paid for what you do. And then the fourth area, which we were just talking about, is the key relationships at home. And the fifth area is your spiritual understanding, which is very rough for everybody that I put through training, even some clergymen. The spiritual area is the, the most profound. So those five areas and the process. Now we just cut it down to two seminars. It used to take 13 months. And most of the guys that I, some of the guys I put through training are now instructors and we're, we're just leading seminar series. And, uh, I could go on for days. Yeah. No, I, and, and what kind of people are coming through these programs? For the first six years, it was a CEO or executive level. Mm -hmm. And I don't know why it was that way. And some professional athletes, uh, in my mind, it was because those people always want to get better. Right. Most people at the top are never complacent. They always want the, an edge. And this represented an edge that they couldn't attain without going through a course. And in year seven or last year, we uh, put on a seminar. We reduced the cost and put it over. It's about a quarter long. It's a two two weekend seminar separated by, you know, maybe 60 days and uh, produces better results than the year long training. But the people that come to that are 
men and women between 35 and 45 mm-hmm. that want more. That's, right. that's how I look at it. And now, now that I, I like the fact that more people can have access to it. Uh, but at when it was $130,000 for a year, it was very restrictive to who was going to be capable of paying that. Right. Right. That's um, man. So, you know, some of the things you said there, first of all, you know, I, I went into business kind of trial by fire, never had uh, a formal business education. I, I didn't have work. I didn't have uh, a career path after I got out. So I kind of started my own thing and just kind of made a lot of mistakes as I went along. And, and what I discovered was exactly what you said, which is business isn't anything but understanding people. Um, and understanding how to give people what they want, what they need. Right. And, and it seems like you've been able to translate a lot of the experience you've had into giving people something they want, something they need. Um, and, and at times maybe, maybe bringing something they want, but once they're going for that thing, they want also giving them what they need that they didn't realize they needed in the first place. Right. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I, uh, yeah, and I had offers to help, uh, you know, like be COO of companies uh, from the CEOs that I'd been training. And I'm like, I'm, I'm, I'll be a better benefit to you if I don't work inside the company, right? Uh, and the reason why I brought that up is, uh, th- and there's a lot of when we're talking offline, the struggle of the, the veteran now is trying to figure out not where they fit in, but where they get value. Right. And I realized that I am more valuable when I'm not embedded in the day-to-day operations of an organization. I tried to, and the money was wonderful. I'm like, wow, man, COO or CEO had I helped build and sell a company. And uh, even though the money was good, I didn't enjoy it. Right. And I'm like, man, I can't spend a lot of days not enjoying myself. Right. And But there are also people that I'm not saying don't do that. I'm just find out what you really enjoy in life and put your head down and go for it. And... 99.9% of the time, it'll work out the 10th time you try it, not the first time. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. So I, I found something that I truly enjoy and uh, it it is of great value to me and to my family and to the other people that are involved in it. Wow. Well, man, Tom, I, one, I could talk to you all day about this stuff, but uh, I know we're, we're cutting down on time. Um, the, the books that you've written, um, what are they called? Well, the first one uh, is called Unbreakable, Navy SEAL's Way of Life. It was originally titled Spartan Woman because I wanted to pass on a vital lessons to my kids, but I wanted them to understand that without a, a tough woman, men don't achieve anything. But the publisher didn't like the title, so he changed it to, I had to put a Navy SEAL thing in it. Yeah. So that was printed in 14. Uh, and then I uh, was sitting on a panel of SEALs 
and we're noticing that a lot of our brothers and a lot of your brothers were committing suicide. And we put our, we asked each other, what would happen if you died? And I was like, fuck, man, I'm not going to commit suicide. They're like, well, yeah, but what happens if you die? What legacy are you giving to your family? Or what have you not said? And I'm like, man, you know, one thing I'm sitting on this treasure trove of this technology that my SEALs and I, or my buddies and I, or my partners and I have created in this training program. And they, they said, well, why don't you put it in paper? Why don't you write a book about it? Like the whole linear process of what we put people through. And I was like, man, it's the technology. It's what I've been getting paid to do. They're like, well, put it down. Not everybody's going to read the book, but at least you'll have pass that on to your kids. So the second book is the actual process and method that we've developed, that we've put 2,000 people through this training. And it's called uh, Three Simple Things Leading During Chaos. Wow. Wow. And um, where, where can people find it? Where can people, uh, where can people grab it? Yeah, it's on Amazon. Uh, so all, both of the books are up on Amazon, Unbreakable and Three Simple Things. Or you can, if you want to sign copy, unbreakableleadership.com is our company and uh, be happy to respond with a, a signed copy. That's awesome. Well, these, it sounds like there's some amazing lessons there. There's some amazing lessons with you. Where, where can people also find your training? How can people get in touch with you for training? Uh, you know, we do have social media as begrudging social media is, uh, on Facebook, I th- uh, we're under Tom Shea and T H O M S H E A, but the and we're on LinkedIn as well. But the the best way is just type in oddly enough, uh, unbreakableleadership.com, and that captures. That's like a funnel where it captures everybody, and uh, uh, we are very responsive. And we ho- we have a seminar every month, and we're darn near booked out till june which is a, a great phenomenon awesome awesome now here's the hardest question you're going to get all morning um you've got kids at west point you know you you went to west point for a little bit you served in the navy during the football game who do you root for when my daughter was there i was rooting for uh west point uh but when i was in the team's I was uh, rooting for Navy, so <laughs> I can play both sides. I'm not scared. <laughs> <laughs> it's awesome. That's awesome. Well, Senior Chief Shea, one, I want to thank you so much for coming on this morning. I want to thank you for getting on bright and early with me. And, um, you know, I want to acknowledge you. Um, you know, our community, uh, like I said to you offline before before we got on, I think is the sleeping giant in our country. And I think it's these types of tools these types of understandings that is going to awaken that giant up and that is going to help us to do what we're meant to do, which is to help to make this country as great as possible. Yep. I agree. I want to thank you for the work you're doing. I want to thank you for the message you brought here today and the message you're continuing to bring out there to the world. Well, thanks for having me. And, uh, I am in full agreement, uh, our brothers and sisters, uh, we are a long 240 plus years of history that uh, is profoundly impactful 
uh, to every human being that goes through it. And we need to stick together. Absolutely. Absolutely. And to everybody out there, um, I want to encourage you to, to pick up these books. I want to encourage you to learn more about Senior Chief Shea and uh, to head over to his websites. And we're going to have the links for everything up on the show notes for this episode. Um, you know, get out there, put your best effort into everything you do. Live your best life while you can because you don't have forever. And uh, thank you so much for listening to this episode. Uh, this is Chris Albert and Tom Shea, and we are out. All right, guys. I hope that you got as much out of that episode as I did. I, I was absolutely fascinated with Senior Chief Shea, with the lessons that he brought to the table here. And I know that there is so much value in this episode. Uh, if you didn't listen with a pen and paper, like I said at the beginning, go back, grab a pen and paper, listen to it again, write this stuff down. Um, I, there's just so many lessons we can learn from somebody like Senior Chief Shea, and I hope that you are taking them to heart. Um, like I always say, we are the sleeping giant in this country. This community is the sleeping giant in this country. When we wake up, we're going to have a massive impact. And we're already waking up. There's so many of you out there doing the hard work, getting out there, making an impact on your communities, making an impact on your families, right? That's so important, so important. So please don't just listen to these episodes. Go out there and take action. Uh, like I said, I'm going to have all of the links to Senior, che Senior Chief Shea's books, to his courses, to his instruction, to, to everything related to Senior Chief Shea up on the show notes for this episode. And uh, we'll be back at you next week with some more awesome content. Thank you so much for listening. I hope you had an outstanding Thanksgiving, and I'll be talking to you really soon.